Praise God. Wow. Could I have a, Thank you. There's the first slide. Just out of interest, folks. Who knows who these guys are? One, two, three, four. Okay, not too bad. Was What did Jesus tell you to do? Watch and pray. What do you watch? Ecology, politics, economies. Now, last week we left off, we were just talking about the overview of church history, and we left off looking at the Battle of Armageddon, basically. What, remember, the Antichrist, there's three big things to look for, for the Antichrist to arrive. The world financial structures, that's already in place. Okay, well and truly underway. You have the political structures, the European Union, which I believe will be the, the seat of the Antichrist, well and truly established. But the bit that's missing is the military bit. Now, we won't go into it in any detail, but remember when we did end times. There's a big cross, like a, a target mark, focused on Israel. And Scripture says that the Battle of, Armaged- uh, the Battle of Armageddon is actually a battle that doesn't happen. All the trouble is the trouble that leads up to it. Okay? It says that there's 200 million from China begin to march on Israel. There's a European army, the army of the Antichrist, begins to march in from Europe. It says that Russia and Iran combine and march down. And you've got this cross. But the bit that's missing was the African bit. Gog and Magog. We know, and it's been prophesied, and I preached it last year and the year before, that the African and Arab states will combine. And that's really the last of the three. Fascinating times we live in, folks. Astonishing times. So the military peace is now in place. Bin Laden's dead. By the way, the death of Bin Laden again is timely. Because the, 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 the Islamic militants, they're doing the wrong thing <laughs> prophetically. They're looking the wrong way. They're focused on the wrong country. They're all after America. That's not actually scriptural. That's not biblical. It's a bit of a, it, it will pass. I think one of the safest places to be in the last days will be America. And yes, we may have some backlash. There may be some bombs, etc., suicide bombers. But I don't believe that the onslaught that we've seen on America or the focus will continue. Instead, the Arab Spring will rise and who will they be looking at? Israel. You understand? There's a change in focus. And for that change in focus to take place, Bin Laden has to die. Interesting times. And from this point on, the focus of the African nations progressively will begin to be Israel, anti-Semitism, alive and kicking in Europe. So we said that last week. This was Wednesday. This is a picture taken last Wednesday. When the leader of Hamas, Israel's greatest enemy on earth, and the leader of Fatah, Israel's second greatest enemy on earth. The only thing protecting Israel is the fact that these guys can't stand each other. That's the only thing. Because they can't agree. So Palestine itself fights internally like a civil war. On and on and on. And that is a kind of protection for Israel. But this week, they got together. Where did they get together? Africa. In Egypt. They met in Egypt and they signed an agreement, a contract with one another that they will combine, they will unite, obviously, to defeat Israel. Folks, these are scary times. 
And we need to start listening to prophecy and getting ready for the times, the days in which we live. It's been a busy week. Bin Laden's dead. The change of focus to Israel. They're not wasting any time. They're not wasting any time. They're already getting, getting their act together. We need to get our act together. And I ask you, you know this week, I don't know if you follow Benjamin Netanyahu. He used to be the Prime Minister of Israel. And then he was out and now he's back in again. But I have watched him probably for about 15 years. Listen, folks. I have never seen him look the way he did this week. It, it broke my heart as I caught, I caught that. I don't even know how to express it. I don't. But yet Yahoo, you know, he's a strong guy, a very able politician. But when I saw his face this week, the face had on it panic. The face had on it, world! Christians! Somebody look! Wake up! Look! And yet Yahoo was looking left and looking right. And I thought, I hear you. I hear you. He understands what's happening. He understands that from this point on, he doesn't know if he can control them. Mark my words, you'll be hearing about this for the rest of existence, this agreement. Okay? So it's an interesting week. We, we, we did an overview of church history because it's the best way to start. Sorry, I'll just go on to my next slide there, actually. The other, another thing that happened this week, remember we were looking last, last week at Mount Ararat, where the ark came to rest. Well, some of you may know of on ESCO, the World Heritage Sites. Have you heard of those guys? There's, I don't know, there's, there's many of them, 20, 30 sites, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, Niagara Falls. There's sites around the world that are designated as World Heritage Sites. They can't be touched. They're available to all countries, etc., etc. Well, guess what? This week, on ESCO, are looking at Noah's Ark. And the current, they're currently saying that they're quite convinced that it's Noah's Ark. Amazing. It's very difficult to see this. But there's actually two layers. There's an upper deck and a lower deck. And you can see the, the, the upper deck quite prominently because it's above the lower deck. But this is massive, right? This is up in Armenia. Well, it's Turkey. Uh, and, there, and there it sits, right? Now, next slide, please. These, it's been discovered by a group of Chinese uh, Christians, evangelical Christians. And that's a guy down deep in the earth. And these are wooden panels down the side, up on top of the mountain, folks. There's a boat up on the mountain. Amazing. And I'm, I'm gobsmacked. I'm shocked. Absolutely shocked that the government, a secular government, is recognizing the flood. Right? I mean, it's a world organization, UNESCO, but that they're willing to look at it. Now, the Christians at this point in time, last week, they stated that they were 99.9% sure that they have actually found the ark. Astonishing. Do you know what Jesus said? Even if you raise people from the dead, they won't listen. That's what he said. You think if you do this and that, people will turn? No, they won't. And you see things like this. They'll explain it this way. They'll explain it that way. But don't you be like that. You realize God is giving us great, you know, warnings. Great. This is a blessing. These things are a blessing, a reminder that He's a real God, the God of history. 
So we're going to do, starting today, an overview of the books of the Bible. That's a daunting task. We'll take it book by book, and I will try to limit it to one message per book, because it's only an overview. And I think that's a very good thing to do. It helps us understand. Genesis. There's many ways you could look at Genesis. You could look at the characters in Genesis. Adam, Noah, Abraham. You could look at the events in Genesis, the fall and the flood. But maybe just for this morning, we'll look at the places, the locations, locations, locations throughout it. Just briefly, I'll go over those and I'll come to the three points that I believe God wants to talk to you about this morning. So the big places in Genesis are Eden, Ararat, Babel, Ur, Canaan, and Egypt. And I'll work through them one at a time. Let's start with Eden then, where the Bible starts. Scripture speaks about two countries more than any other. What's the first one? Easy. Israel. What's the second one? What's the second most mentioned nation in the Bible? Iraq. Iraq. And once again, pay attention, folks. Don't miss it. You've got the beginning of time. You've got your Bible. And the two most mentioned countries, Israel and Iraq, come all the way to today. And what is on your newspaper every day? Israel, Iraq. Is, for the last 27 odd years or whatever since the first war. Israel, Iraq. Israel, Iraq. Could I have my map, please? This is Iraq. Now, the reason it's the second most mentioned nation in the Bible is because it goes by different names. It's called Babylon. It's called the land of Shinar. It's called Mesopotamia, etc., etc. But it has a, an enormous impact on Scripture, Iraq. Listen to this. The Garden of Eden. We don't know where it was, but many people consider that it was in Iraq. Mesopotamia, which is now called Iraq, was the cradle of civilization. Noah's Ark was built in Iraq. Abraham came from Ur, which is in Iraq. Isaac, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, came from Nohar, which is in Iraq. Jacob met Rachel in Iraq. Jonah preached to Nineveh, which is in Iraq. Assyria, which defeated Israel. They are in Iraq. It goes on in Babylon, which is in Iraq. Daniel, when Daniel went into the lion's den, that was Iraq. When the three, Meshach, Shadnach, and Abednego, were in the fire, that was Iraq. Ezekiel preached in Iraq. It goes on and on and on. It's a key part of the world, you know, all through history and even more so today. I repeat, we don't know where the Garden of Eden is. And I would trust Ken Ham. Some of you know Ken Ham. We did some of his, his stuff last year. Very interesting. Answers in Genesis. Uh, very interesting stuff. Now, he says we don't know where Genesis is, uh, where, where Eden is. But it's highly likely that it's somewhere around here. Somewhere in this region. Okay? Now, what's happening anyway? What's happening in Genesis? Who is this Adam character? Well, this is what's happening. I guess the best way to understand it is the first Adam and the last Adam. Who's the last Adam? Jesus Christ. The first Adam was a bit like the last Adam in many ways, in terms of authority. Here you've got God, the God of all infinity, bursting with life. And he's, he's a God who wants fellowship, a God who wants company, if you like. Okay, So he creates the earth and he puts man on it. And what he does is he, he, he says to man, look, the highest heaven belongs to me, 
but the earth I am giving to you. And Adam becomes, if you like, small g. Turn to your neighbor and say, small g. He, he makes Adam the God of this world, small g. Okay? Not God, but the God of this world. What do I mean by that? Folks, look at me a minute. Listen, please listen. Because this is our heritage and this is where we need to go. God really moved on Friday night. When you were praying, Danya, I tell you, it really, uh, it, it, the Holy Spirit filled that place. Filled that place. And there's something of what we're getting at here. You know when, you know when the last Adam walked on the earth? You know when there was a storm? Be still, remember? See if there was a dead body? The last Adam had authority, dominion on the earth. Whatever he said happened, Jesus Christ. But the first Adam was the same. The first Adam in the garden, he had dominion. And there was no storms because the earth was surrounded by a firmament in those days. But Adam had dominion over the earth. So if there had been a storm, the first Adam could have said, be still. And it would have been still because God put authority upon him right? And we come after Jesus Christ has come into the world, died for us, and now his spirit lives in us. And we're intended to have that type of dominion. Now understand what Adam was like. Adam was no less intelligent than you. He had the same amount of intelligence as you. He just didn't have the knowledge. You've been educated. You've gone to primary school, secondary school, right? So you've got your head stuffed full of knowledge, but Adam didn't have the knowledge, but he did have the intelligence. You understand? He was exactly like you. So you can imagine him in the garden, walking in the garden with a brain, perceptivity, just like you. He was able to look, as I say, the earth was surrounded by water then, and he was able to look and the rays of light came through the water, keeping him healthy and well, protected from all ills, all diseases. Wonderful. The healing power of light that men know nothing about fantastic, wonderful thing, right? That's what, hap- that's what was happening in Eden. God's desire to have fellowship with people, He's bursting with life. And in those first 11 chapters, Genesis 1 to 11, it's called prehistory. You have the origins of just about everything. Sin, the fall, the, 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 the prophesied savior, marriage, the seven-day week, creation, the universe, death, and on and on it goes. You go from Eden, which we've looked at last week and this week, and very quickly, the second place is Ararat. Again, that's Mount Ararat we looked at. Now, folks, you know the story. God flooded the earth, the ark came down to rest, and out came the people. We reckon they walked over into Armenia, maybe on towards Turkey as well. Did they learn their lesson? Did the people learn the lesson? God has flooded the whole earth. His heart is vexed. He's grieved with mankind. And he wipes mankind from the face of the earth. Do the people learn their lesson? The answer is, I'm afraid, a resounding no. Because what did they do? Babel. They built Babel. Could I have my next slide, please? I don't know if you've ever been to, to New York City, but wherever people build towers, you know, I always think you're in a little bit of danger there. A little bit of danger. There can be a little bit of the pride of man. There really can. Next slide, please. Look at this. Have men changed? Look at the tallest buildings in the world. Nation after nation, whether it's China or Taipei, 
or Malaysia, sorry, there they are, right? You've got all these, and they're still building, folks. They're still building. They reckon that the, the tallest one is not finished yet. There's two under construction. The one on ground zero is just up to 60 floors at the moment. But that will be the second tallest building in the world when it's finished. The tallest one on the far end there being Taipei, which is not yet finished. Has anything changed? Not a jot. Not a jot. Nations wanting to look good, wanting to present themselves, the pride of man, if you like, building and building and building and nothing has changed. Next slide, please. Take a look at this. When they, you know the story of the European Union. When they wanted to construct the European Union, which I believe will be the seat of the Antichrist, and they wanted to put a building where the European leaders would meet, oh, Jesus, they had many designs, many presentations put to them by architects. Which one did they choose? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They chose to design the European Union headquarters after the Tower of Babel as represented by Bruegel, a middle centuries painter. Now, we don't know what the Tower of Babel looked like. This is just, you know, history. But nonetheless, they chose an image of Babel to represent Europe. And it doesn't stop there. You know the story. The woman riding on the beast, they've got it at the door. It's astonishing, folks. Amazing. Truly, these are the last days. People are still building their towers. Still building them now. And that tells me there's, there's trouble ahead. Because those towers will come down. Those towers will come down. At Babel, in Eden, God was making man, trying to have relationship with him, with you. But you know, the sin entered the world, so he tried again. He sends Noah. He rescues Noah and his family. But what did they do? They get so proud, they want to reach heaven, is the way they put it. So God comes down on Babel. Remember, he confuses the languages. Even in this room, there are many, many languages. Now, I deal with interpretation all the time. And I can tell you, folks, it is not easy. It slows us up. Interpretation really messes things up. I don't know if you followed the Hadron Collider, the, the CERN project. Anybody keep their eye on that? Watch and pray. The, the big collider they've built in Geneva. Do you know how many languages are involved in that? Do you know how many different scientists from different nations? 20. Now, that's just like the full-timers. 20 languages that have to come together and be interpreted 20 ways so that science can advance. You see, God put a break. Do you know what God said in Genesis? I'm going to talk about it tonight. God said this in Genesis. If I don't confuse their language, nothing will be impossible for them. Nothing. That's amazing. I didn't say it. You get in a lot of trouble for saying something like that. God said, nothing will be impossible. We're made in God's image. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's you. I'm going to talk about it tonight. So how did he stop? How do you stop people advancing? Speech. Get control of their speech. Your speech will either make your life or break your life. Right? The tongue... There's a thousand scriptures on it. The tongue has the power of life and death. Right? And you've got to be careful of your tongue. Watch your speech. But God needed to slow man down. And what he did was he confused the languages. Folks... 
The effect of that on the world is that we've slowed up for generations, centuries. But you know what? In Geneva, they're overcoming it by working together through interpretation. Once again, the world is ahead of the church. The end times church needs to be an international church that brings the languages back together because every nation has a prophetic purpose. Do you know, no one has changed my mind or adapted my theology more than Pastor Fred. (laughs) Just being close to someone from another culture, being close to someone who speaks another language, and getting inside his theology, he speaks Greek and Hebrew, you see, and getting inside his theology from his tradition, right? IPC, I say the Pakistani Pentecostal Church, very good. And that has benefited me so much because you don't get it here. I have never heard a white guy teach what Fred teaches. Never. And it's brilliant. And vice versa. I sow into his world, his kingdom there. You see, we are impoverished because of the division of the nations from Babel. And in the last days, listen folks, in the last days, God will bring the church back together. And we can overcome the language difficulties. We can deal with that. And as we do, we'll become stronger and stronger and stronger. Back to the way Adam was before the fall, if you like. Amen? So Eden, to Ararat, to the flood, to Babel, where they made big mistakes. They started all over again. What a stupid thing to do. And then we see God, in his great grace, look for someone. Remember, he tried to deal with people. He tried to deal with nations. But he just couldn't seem to get the people to behave. So he changes his strategy. And the last thing we see is he turns to a man, a single person. Who was that? Abraham. And he he sees that Abraham has faith. He was looking for faith in him, belief in him, someone who would believe in God. And God calls, last slide there, please. God calls Abraham. If you ever wonder why there's such a battle over Israel and why it has always dominated the news, at least while you live, it's because Abraham lived in Iraq. And God spoke to him one day. It's a great, it's a great piece of scripture. God says to Abraham, Abraham, come out, start walking. And Abraham, you know, where to, Lord? I'll tell you later. Just start walking. Fantastic. I love it. And some of you, many of you, you've got a dream, a vision, maybe for a career or a business or I don't know what. But so many people, they have a vision, but they do not know how to achieve it. I tell you, they do not know. This is one of the primary building blocks of ever seeing your vision fulfilled. Folks, I started out when I got saved with a vision. I have surpassed my vision a hundred times over. Far more than I ever dreamed, ever dreamed, but based on one principle, this one. God may not tell you, faith, you may have to step out not knowing where you're going. Amen. And some of you need to do that. Abraham could have said, well, God, what about the vision? Tell me, I want to know this about the vision. I want to know that about the vision, this, that, and the whole conclusion right to the end. No faith. No faith, you see. No understanding about how to enter in and follow God. God demands faith. Therefore, you will not be told. Therefore, you have to learn to walk, as we put it, toe to heel. Follow God. Not knowing where you're going. And I challenge some of you that God has spoken to. You see, listen to me. Do you know what God does? 
He gives direction, not directions. Not directions. He will show you which way to go, but not how to get there. Right? Visions come like that, you see. First of all, you get the inclination, the idea, the concept that this is what God wants with my life, my business, my career, my marriage. This is the general direction. And then as you obey, like Abraham obeyed, he begins to add with, well, what did he do with Abraham? He gave him the land. Abraham went walking and he walked all the way over to a place called Canaan, modern day Israel. And God spoke to him there said, stop. This is it. This is the land that I am giving to you. (sighs) How can anybody not believe in God? How can you not believe in God when you look at Israel? How? It's blatantly obvious. That piece of land, right from the beginning, that God gave them has been the point of your Bible. The battle is for it. Abraham was walking through Canaan and God said, stop. This is it. This is the land that I'm giving to you. Now, the rest of your Old Testament particularly is the story of the people of Israel going into the kingdom, out of the kingdom, walking with God, not walking with God. Good day, bad day. Good year, bad year. They were round and round and round and round in circles. Sorry, but that's the story. It's not good. Egypt and Canaan, Egypt and Canaan. Abraham walked all the way down to Egypt, actually. And famine, because of famine. And it's not a good story. It's a very sad story. It's a bit of a foreshadow of the kingdom, which, which should not be. So that's a factual, quick overview, if you like, of the book of Genesis. And we'll give you a location, location view of it. But you know what, folks? In my opinion, you can see all that and miss the point. You can see all of that and not get it. And the bottom three points on your page, look at point one there. God is God and man is man. This is the truth about the book of, 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 I was going to say Revelation. This is the truth about the book of Genesis, folks. Do you know what? I'll read the three of them. So just, and then I'll I'll, I'll work my way through them. God is God and man is man. The second point, don't project your faults onto God. This is what I believe Genesis teaches. Sujith, could you come back, please? Um, The second point, don't project your uh, your faults onto God. And thirdly, God will work all things for good. Let me explain to you. Now, please listen, folks, because you can read the book of Genesis the rest of your life and not understand the point. Okay? You know what the point is? God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And whatever he wanted in Genesis to tell you, it was concluded in Jacob. Notice he doesn't say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, or any of the other patriarchs. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now tell me, God, what is it that you did in Jacob? that you achieved in Jacob. What is it that you want me to see in Genesis or understand? Do you know what it is, folks? It's important. Jacob had a bad family, you see. He had a bad upbringing. Not good parents. They weren't great. And it kind of damaged him for life. Point one there. Jacob thought that God was like a bigger version of him. 
And what that did to Jacob was he couldn't worship. He would come to church, if you like, a bit like you this morning, and everybody else is worshiping God and seem to have some connection, but me and... <clears throat> what causes that, Lord? God created Adam because he wanted a relationship. And he got it with Jacob. He got it with Jacob. You see, it's a love relationship, folks. But it took a bit of a journey. Jacob's first fault was he thought that God was a bigger version of him. And you know what the problem with that is? You can't worship that sort of God. You can't worship a God of your own creation. Because he's not God. It's not perfect, if you like. Right? But that's what Jacob was like. Look, God the Father. Let's say God the Father is a sculptor. He can make a statue. A creation. But God the Father can have a son. A living son. Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God. But you are created. There's a big difference. And Jacob and maybe you confused these things. And what that did is it messed up his relationship. It messed up his ability to worship God. He saw God as a bigger version of himself. And you know what the problem is? Point two. Jacob began to project onto God his own faults, his own feelings. You see, folks, Jacob was a little bit vindictive, a little bit nasty as a person. And he projected that, I believe, onto God. We had a woman, I won't mention her name, a woman in one church, she used to hate Jeanette. Man, she couldn't stand her. And one day, she, this woman came up to me and she said, You know, Jeanette, she is this, she is that, she is this, she is that, and she has done this because of that. And, that. and I remember sitting that lady down and saying, You know what? All the things that you accuse, you don't know her. You don't know her. And all the things, the things you say, I know her. And I tell you this, what you accuse her of wouldn't even enter her mind. Ever. She would never even think it. Yet you project it onto her. You can only see her as another version of you. And she's not. And that puts you at odds with her. And you can't stand her somehow. You're proje it's called projecting. You're projecting onto her your own faults. And the trouble is, folks, you see, this is what we do with God. This is how we perceive and we almost can't help it. It's fallen nature. And we need to be disciplined not to do it. You can't worship a God who's like you. <laughs> Excuse me, but you know what I mean. God doesn't have your faults. You might be impatient. He's not. You might be nasty and vindictive like Jacob. He is not. God is good. Very, very good. He's better than you. And you may think he's good. Look at me. You may think he's good, but I do not think that you think he's good enough. Not as good as he is. He's a good, 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 good God. A loving God. And that's the God you can worship. And I tell you folks, if your worship runs dry, it can be because of your perception of who he is. Because you're projecting. And very simply, that's, you know, plain and simply what Jacob did. Let me tell you the story. You may never hear it again, 
as long as you live. So listen carefully. There was a guy uh, called Isaac. And Isaac, his mum was about to die. She was very close to death. And he was quite weak. And God saw him. And you know what God said? Do you know what I'll do for Isaac before his mum dies? I'll give him a wife. And so God brings Rebecca along. And Isaac marries Rebecca. They're both quite immature. They have two children, Jacob and Esau. They're not good parents. And do you know why? Because they show favoritism. You see? Not good. Rebecca, she loved Jacob, but Isaac loved Esau. And the home was split. Listen real carefully. How was your upbringing? How was mum? How was dad? Any favoritism in the home? Were you put aside or were you spoiled? With Jacob, it actually stopped him worshipping. I'll show you in a moment. So he grows up in this home where his father, who is his idol, doesn't love him. But actually loves the other brother. And the mother gets twisted and bitter. And she devises a plan. You know the, the story, right? She says to Jacob one day, do you know what we'll do? Your father is old. He's going blind. Do you know what we'll do? We'll cover you in a goat's hair and you sneak in and he will bless you. And you will steal the blessing. Go take it, Jacob. And Jacob's a con conniving man, you know. He's a real con man, real duck the crook. <laughs> and he covers himself in goat's hair, he goes in when a blessing, it's another story, but when a blessing is pronounced, it cannot be reversed. Stay with me. So Jacob steals the blessing. Esau's so mad, he's going to kill him. So Jacob flees. Does he prosper? Oh, he prospers greatly because you can't revoke a blessing. And Jacob's out here. Follow me. Stay with me. Jacob's out here and he's prospering, but all the times he yearns to go home, he has a big family, 12 sons. But Jacob is like father, like son. Jacob's just like his dad, a bad father. He has a special one in his family. Who was that? Joseph. And Jacob, just like his dad, he has this pet son. And Joseph means more to Jacob than all the rest of them put together. Stay with me. Years go by and J Jacob is still vindictive and he only sees God as vindictive. Years go by and one day the brothers come to him trembling and they say, Dad, Dad, sit down. Joseph is dead. And it says that Jacob tore his clothes and said, No, not Joseph, not Joseph. I can take anything, but don't take the apple of my eye. And they said, Dad, Joseph is dead. Stay with me. Listen, do you know what Jacob said in his mind? Ha! I stole the birthright. I took from my father the most precious thing, the apple of his eye, I took from my brother all those years ago, and now God is getting me back. Now God has taken off me, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Look, what did you expect? Now God has taken the life of my pride and joy. Jacob could only see God as a bigger version of himself, and so he couldn't worship him. He needed to understand God doesn't have your faults. What happened next? 
Years and years and years go by. And what happened was Jacob, once again, the sons come in and they say, Dad, you'll never guess what. Joseph is alive. And Jacob, no, 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 no. He's, in fact, he says, don't say that. Stop it. I can't stand it. I'm hurt. He was still grieving. All those years, he's still grieving. And he says, don't say it. It can't be true. And the brothers say, Dad, Joseph is alive. And for the first time, folks, for the first time in Jacob's life, do you know what he does? He has to think. I, I did that. God, you're supposed to punish me. I took the, 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 my, my, my father's prize. I took my brother's prize. This is my punishment. How can Joseph be alive? And do you know what Jacob said? It says he was an old man. And the Bible says this. When all the, in fact, turn to it. Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47, verse 30. Look at it. Genesis chapter 47 and verse 30. This is Jacob talking. Wonderful. Wonderful. This is the meaning, I believe, of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 47 and verse 30. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him. Look at this. And Israel, that's Jacob. They changed his name to Israel. And Jacob worshipped as an old man leaning on the top of his staff. Folks, I want you to see something. Here's an old, old guy. And all his life, he has only seen God as vindictive, as a bigger version of himself. And he hobbles his way through life. And the blessed day comes. He, I think he's in his 80s, 90s. And he leans on the top of his staff. Do you know what, folks? I don't want to be an old man. Don't say I am an old man already. I don't want to wait until I'm just about to die to realize that God is a good God. Do you? I don't want to have to go all through all those things. These things are written so that you would learn. And Jacob changed his opinion about God when he knew that his son was alive. And he suddenly realized, you know, I was, I can't remember who I was sharing with. I worked in a mental hospital for five years in a locked ward with, with violent men. And there was one special case was coming to the hospital and we had to look after him. He was a young boy. He was only about 15, but he, he, he's severely damaged. He was in a very bad state. And his name was Darren. We had him in a ward. And I remember I went in to meet him for the first time and they wanted me to special him, to work with him full time. Three nurses with him full time. And I went into Darren and I walked up to him. Do you know what he did? This is a boy who's had abuse all his life, been in care all his life and been in institutions. Do you know what he did? He walked up to me and he took my hand and he took it and he started to hit himself with it. And I pulled my hand back. And he said, no, give me a hand. Boom, this is what you do. You hit me. I thought, what's he doing? And I said, oh, I see. From a little child, in institution after institution, 
the only thing you know is abuse. And so when someone comes near you, you expect and even command that abuse. And we had to train him. No, Darren. No. You do not beat yourself up. We're not like that. That may have been your upbringing. That may have been your parents or whatever. But we're not like that. And you can't enter into a relationship if this is how you come to me. You know the God who sent his son to the cross for you? He's not nasty. He's not vindictive. And he doesn't need to get you back. He doesn't need to. Everything that you've ever done wrong was put on the back of Jesus Christ. Taking your sin away, that's what he's done. And remember the smile on the face of the, of the God in the, in the cartoon we showed? And this morning, God looks at you with an open heart, not remembering your faults, but rather saying, come on, come on, I dealt with it, I dealt with it. Put those weights down. Stop beating yourself up. And learn of me. Learn of me. And worship me. Come and worship me. That's what Genesis was about. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. It's the end of the book. It's the end of the book. And what happens next, folks? God says it's Exodus. And they're coming out, right? And why did they come out? Let my people go so that they will worship me. I'm going to invite the worship team back. We're going to sing a song. And I want you to make it your testimony. I want you to make it your prayer. We've sung it before, but I like it because I believe it has great meaning. The song is this, that God is for you, not against you. And whatever circumstances or situations you may have come through, the rights or wrongs of your past, I ask you today to put them down and to worship the real God, the true God. Stand with me a moment and let's just welcome him. Praise God. Just close your eyes one moment and just take this time. Father, I pray for every person here that in our hearts we would vindicate you of doing anything wrong towards us or having a malicious or bad attitude or bad motives towards us. You are a good, good God. And we offer you our worship this morning. That's what pleases you. And God, you are, yes, a consuming fire. You're a God who loves us beyond measure. And today we put all preconceptions of you down in Jesus' name. We put them down and we choose to worship.